Turn back to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. I want to read from, in chapter 7, from verses 1 to 12. We are we're seeing wisdom contrasted with foolishness or folly again. Uh, that has come up before. Now we're going to see the more... Uh, whereas before wisdom is insufficient uh, to sustain our joy and happiness here in this world, certainly human wisdom fails, uh, but we have to be pointed to God, we have to be pointed to His wisdom and see the practical nature of it as well. So in chapter 7, we're again contrasting uh, wisdom with foolishness and showing the practical nature uh, of wisdom for those who are trusting in the Lord. But I want to read from verses 1 to 12 in chapter 7. And then we'll look at verses 5 to, really 5 to 10, but bring in 11 and 12 at the end. This is God's Word. Pay close attention. A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fools. This also is vanity. Surely oppression drives the wise into madness and a bribe corrupts the heart. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning. And the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry. For anger lodges in the hearts of fools. Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. Wisdom is good with an inheritance, an advantage to those who see the sun. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money, and the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of the one who has it. Thus far God's word. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that you would be at work in our hearts that we might be people of wisdom and growing in wisdom, not only knowing it, but applying it, living wise lives as you define wise lives. Show us the way through the cross to a growingly wise life that takes seriously the realities that are forced in front of our face in the book of Ecclesiastes. This world is not our home. This world is not paradise. There is nothing here under the sun that can sustain our satisfaction, joy, and happiness. We must look above the sun to the Lord who is enthroned and fear you, delight in you, trust you, rest in you, 
live for you in your strength, for your glory, by the instruction of your word. We thank you for your son, who is wisdom incarnate. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in him. Help us to trust, love, and follow you, Lord Jesus. To not be fools in your eyes, but to be fools in the world's eyes when the choice requires it. Help us this morning to have ears to hear your truth, hearts to apply it, that we might walk in it and not forget it. Help me to preach your word in the power of the Spirit. Use me as an instrument in your hand to minister to your people through me. We pray for your blessing on the preaching and the hearing of your word. We know it is your will, so we trust you for it and ask it in the holy name of Jesus. Amen. Everybody is somebody's fool. The world is the biggest school. As you live, you learn, though a torch will burn. Everybody is somebody's fool. You go through life making fools of others, pretending you are giving them love. But remember, sister or brother, you all have to answer to the one above. That is from the eminent theologian Michael Jackson. And a song called Everybody is Somebody's Fool. Never know where you're going to find a little inspiration these days, right? The point this book of Ecclesiastes is drive, driving home is found sprinkled through the book and especially at the end. Fear God and keep His commandments. Why? Because judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. Not everything is futile worthless and hopeless, but everything under the sun in this creation is temporary. It's affected by sin. It's not able to give you lasting hope, satisfaction, and the joy that you seek. Repent. Judgment is coming. Solomon's a little bit like Paul Revere saying the English are coming, right? The British are coming. He's saying judgment is coming. Hear it. And prepare for it. And today we're again looking at the practical nature of wisdom. And we see that true wisdom finds its source in God. And that the godly look to and heed God's wisdom. The worldly do not. I mean our song said everybody's somebody's fool. And that's true. And my question that I want you to just grab hold to and think about this morning is whose fool are you? Whose fool are you? Whose fool am I? Because today we're going to examine two fools, two kinds of fools. Fools to God and fools for God or Christ. And listen, in our own lives, we're not going to see hard, clear lines of distinction. What we're going to see in this text as we describe a fool to God, there's going to be, there should be some conviction and grief because we're going to see some characteristics that still linger 
in our hearts that need to be mortified by Christ in the gospel. And then as we see what a fool for God is, we're going to see in some measure how we fall short of that and how we need to be pressing into that so that we're more described that way. We'll need the gospel. We need God's grace. We need to realize that we are not glorified yet and that we need sanctification. So we're going to find anytime our hearts are searched by the word and anytime we honestly search our hearts, we're going to find sins that we need to confess and repent of. But hopefully we're going to find grace in our hearts that we can then run to the throne of grace because of Christ. Find that forgiveness and help in time of need and change. There's a mix in the best of Christians because none are glorified yet. So as we're looking at this text, be asking yourself, what is here that I need to repent of? And what is here that I need to embrace? How can I come out of this sermon more a fool for God and less a fool to God? How can I come out of it less loving the world and more loving God? I mean, the main point is really... It is a call to repentance and change. It's to repent of every, char- every characteristic of a fool to God and embrace every characteristic of a fool to the world in Christ. No hope without Christ, and we'll make that plain. So I wanted to take this text we're going to look at today and flip it first. Flip it so that we're looking at the, the, almost the opposite of it and we're seeing how would a, how would a fool to God be described if we, as we see the opposite of, of what these texts prescribe. And then, then we'll flip it back and see what does it look like to be a fool for God. But look back in chapter 5, uh, chapter 5, chapter 7, verse 5, and we'll start there and lay out the anatomy of a fool to God. And listen, this is, we don't want to be this. Who wants to be thought a fool by God? None. That's not the way to prepare for judgment. So the anatomy of a fool to God. And as we start this, I just want to say this is not an exhaustive list. This is just a sampling that provides a touchstone on our pride. Right? These things will will highlight for us whether we're walking in pride or humility, whether we're walking in faith in ourselves or faith in God, whether then we're described by God in His Word as a fool to Him or a fool for Him, shows us what to put off and what to put on. We don't just put off, right? We put on. So what does a fool to God look like? Look at verses 5 and 6. It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of fools. This also is vanity. So as I flip this, what do I come up with in in describing a fool to God? Well, the first characteristic of a fool to God would be that a fool hates correction. A fool to God hates correction. One that's walking for self not for Christ, hates correction. Pride hates correction. It doesn't want to be corrected. It doesn't want to be told it's wrong. A fool is unteachable. If if you ever enter into the realm of counseling, you're going to run into this a lot because as I said, even Christians are not glorified yet and 
a lot of times Christians can be unteachable. And I was so when I was first converted and God humbled me through his word. Not perfect yet. But a fool is unteachable. A fool doesn't hear correction. A fool doesn't love to be corrected. A fool doesn't see it as better to be corrected. A fool would rather be entertained than directed by wisdom or corrected by wisdom. Look at verse 6. As the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of fools. What in the world? What in the world? Well, imagine using thorn bushes for fuel and they're burning and they're crackling and they're popping and it sounds like a lot of good stuff's going on, but they burn up before the pot gets heated. They're, it's not a good practical fuel. It's temporary. It runs out. It burns up so quickly that it fails to adequately, adequately heat the pot. And this is like the fool's laughter. It's here and it's gone and it produces no growing result, no real lasting effect. It was a lot of light and show and sound, but it was temporary and unproductive. Fool focuses on the temporary, seeks the temporary, tries to enmesh in the temporary and hates correction. God's Word recommends a little different life. Proverbs 12, 1, Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. But watch this. Now we're focusing on the negative side right now. He who hates reproof, reproof is stupid. God's Word is real. And it's hard-hitting. And Solomon, remember, Solomon is shaking us. He's like, listen to me. This is not your home. You are not all that in a bag of chips. There is a king, and it's not you. You need to look up to him and fear him and trust him and rest in him. God says, he who hates reproof, he who hates correction is stupid. Why? Because there is a God who has created all things and is sustaining all things and has sent His Son to die for our sins and has proved it by His resurrection, has given us His Word. And if we would be rightly responding to the goodness of our Creator, we would be loving His correction in our lives. Proverbs 3, 7, Be not wise in your own eyes. Look at that. Look at that again. Read that again. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Psalm 50, 16 and 17. But to the wicked God says, What right, this is, what right have you to recite my statutes or take my covenant on your lips? For you hate discipline and cast my words behind you. God's indictment on the covenant people who were very religious and would come to church or synagogue or temple and put on the religious show, but their lives lived on a daily basis was a throwing of the Word of God behind them. When we ignore God's Word, we are casting it behind us. When we pick and choose and make it a cafeteria and just pick out what we like, we're casting it behind us. 
when we're not devoted to knowing it so that we can be shaped by it and, and growing in it, we're casting it behind us. We're relying on our own stuff, on our own wisdom. We're walking in our own ways. And that's not a good thing. God says you have no right to take my statute on your lips for you hate discipline and cast my words behind you. See, that is the fool who, who has it but rejects it, who sees it but doesn't want it, who, 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 who knows there's a God. And yet, because of our favor of sin, we suppress that knowledge and walk in our own way. So the fool hates correction. Number two, look in verse 7. He values money or riches or possessions over truth. Says surely oppression. That word is probably better translated here as extortion. Surely extortion drives the wise into madness and a bribe corrupts the heart. See, the the fool is willing to use his resources to get his desired outcome no matter what. And to the extent that God's principles work for him, they're practical, he will use them or she will use them. But when they cut cross grain, nope, sorry, my kingdom, doing what I need to do to get my will accomplished. The fool values stuff here over truth. He's willing to use wealth for evil purposes. He gives in to the tip, listen to me, he gives in to the temptation to manipulate for gain. My way is best and I will use whatever means necessary to get my way. We're not always that honest with ourselves, are we? We don't always say that out loud, but if we watch our actions, we'll see that a lot of our actions are showing us that that's kind of the way we're thinking. We really want what we want. And we will use God, or we will not use God, but the fool is about getting what he wants or she wants. Whether they're giving the bribe or receiving the bribe, bribes are corrupting. Bribes are a violation of God's Word. It is all about me getting what I want. Think about, think about Herod, who was willing to slaughter all of the children at two and under to keep the Messiah from coming so that the Messiah wouldn't knock him off his throne. How, how insane is that? And focused and self-centered. Exodus 23.8 says, You shall take no bribe, for a bribe blinds the clear-sighted and subverts the cause of those who are in the right. The fool is willing to bear false witness to get what they want. Solomon says that it drives even wise into madness and corrupts, a bribe can corrupt the heart. Value truth in Christ over other things. Submit to His way and you won't be this kind of fool. Look at the next characteristic. He's impatient. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning and the patient spirit is better than the proud of spirit. Notice the proud thrown in there for the fool, the wicked. The proud is impatient. The proud prioritizes getting it now. Instant gratification. 
See, wisdom is willing to wait, but the, the proud or, the, or the, the fool says, no, I can't wait. You remember the old Queen song? I want it all, and I want it now. That's the fool. That was Esau, wasn't it? Sold his birthright for a pot of stew. Then couldn't get it back. There are a lot of pictures of fools in Scripture. The Bible's real about people. Impatient in spirit is a characteristic of a fool, not a wise person. And that's a dream for a salesman or a con man. The fool is impatient. Next, look. The fool is quick-tempered. Be not quick in your spirit to become anger, for anger lodges in the hearts of fools. Anger lodges in the hearts, or the bosom here, of fools. Quick to express anger. Lack self-control. Instead, the fool says things like, that's just who I am. You're just going to have to deal with it. When I get mad, you're going to know it. When I'm upset, it's coming out. I'm not holding it in. That's bad for me to hold it in. Such nonsense people speak. Don't hold it in. Take it to the cross. Crucify. If you upset me, I'll let you have it. Aren't you glad God isn't that way? I don't know, I thought of Pilate when I thought of people like that. Don't you realize I have the power to crucify you? You don't even know who you're standing in front of, bub. Proverbs 29, 11, A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man or woman quietly holds it back. You'll be most tempted to give full vent of your spirit with those you're closest to. You'll be most tempted to chew on your spouse or your sibling To give full vent to your spirit. To communicate no grace. Just to beat them down because they didn't measure up to whatever your desire was. A fool is quick-tempered. And if you're quick-tempered, repent of it. Everything necessary for life and godliness in Christ Jesus, His Spirit and His Word, He doesn't justify it. He calls you to repent of it. And then verse 10, the last sort of highlight of a fool is they're dissatisfied. They're just dissatisfied. Well, of course, they're trying to live under the sun, find the joy here, manipulate everything so that their kingdom is, they're dissatisfied. Say not, verse 10, where were the former days, or why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. To a great extent, a lot of times a fool will live in the past. Nostalgia gets a lot prettier than it actually was. You realize that, right? We kind of clean it up when we look back on it. And we start talking about the good old days. You know what? There weren't any good old days. Not really. Things are easier than they are at times. But, but we don't want to be living in the past and trying to recapture the past. See, the fool thinks he deserves better now than what he has. 
So he looks back and says it was better then. So what I want to do is go back to then. I mean, we're tempted with that big time during this whole corona mess, right? I just can't wait to get back to... Well, we're not going back. We're going forward. Bring your theology into the picture. Today, you have everything you need today to love, live for, and follow after Jesus and be blessed. But the fool looks back in grief. I mean, I see a lot of... I mean, there would... Not all use of plastic surgery and things like that is bad, but some people are destroying themselves trying to recapture the past. It, it won't come back. At some point, it gets to looking really weird. <laughs> Embrace it. Man, hair restoration. Uh, you, nothing, wrong, nothing wrong with those kind of things. If, but come on now. Don't always be looking back. Don't be wishing for what was. Don't be thinking that was better. That's the way the fool thinks. See, the fool just wants out of the hard situation. He's only satisfied when life is good and easy. He gives in easy to a victim mentality. It was better. It was better then. It might not have been as hard then. Be thankful for that. But don't want to go back to that. We have losses in the now that we wish we didn't have and we want to go back. Everybody understands that. And there's grief involved in life. We can't go back, but we go forward in faith. See, this is not an exhaustive list, but what I want you to think about is, is, do you hate correction? Do you value stuff over truth? Are you impatient? Are you quick-tempered? Are you looking back for the good old life? Are you dissatisfied? Those are characteristics of a fool to God. It's not an exhaustive list, but the fool to God is the one who lives for self, trusts in self, only adheres to God's wisdom when they agree with it. Listen, when the Bible calls somebody a fool, it's not calling them, um, it's not a statement against the intellect. It's a moral accusation. Some of the smartest people on the planet are the biggest fools. Some of those with the greatest intellects are tempted to trust in their own understanding instead of in the Lord. See, a, a fool is one who, who, he may give lip service to God, but he, when it comes down to the nitty-gritty, he rejects God's ways for his way or her ways. He misuses the intellect that God has given him by using it for his own kingdom instead of for God's glory. They lack a proper respect and reverence for God and His truth. He exalts self. He walks in rebellion to God. He uses others. And the height, the height, the absolute height of foolishness is to reject the gospel. See, maybe you're not a Christian this morning and maybe you've heard the gospel and this story of Christ coming as the God-man to live and die and be raised from the grave and then that way to save His people, to give sinners a free gift of salvation through faith 
in Him. And maybe you think that's foolishness because you're exalted in your own opinion. God said you would think it that way. That's not good news for you. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the word of the cross, the gospel, is folly or foolishness to who? To those who are perishing. If you think this morning the gospel is foolishness, you are perishing. You don't want to do that. God said you would think it's foolishness. So if you think it's foolishness, don't be exalted in your pride. You're dwelling in darkness. You need a Savior. You can't save yourself. The gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God, Paul said. Jews seek signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach the gospel. We preach Christ crucified, Paul says, which is the wisdom of God, but foolishness to the lost man. So if you think the gospel is foolishness this morning, be scared. You should be. You're living under the sun. You're seeing yourself as the measure of all things. And whether or not you like it, you one day will stand before God and answer for your rebellion. That's what Solomon is saying. Get your head above the sun. Judgment's coming. You will face it. So fear God. And keep His commandments. Be wise. Repent of being a fool to God. And in Christ Jesus, by receiving Him, become a fool to the world or a fool for God. Let's look quickly at a fool to the world or a fool for God. It's really turning this back right side up as we look at this text. But think about this. It is better for a man, verse 5, It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than the song of fools. The wise person, the fool for God, the one God has saved and is at work in, loves correction. Loves correction. Receives correction. When somebody comes to that person and tells them they're doing something wrong, they don't immediately, bleh! But they consider it. They compare it to God's Word. They think, maybe there's something to this. I need to examine this. Maybe they're not 100% right. Maybe they're only 50% right. But we need to take hold of that 50% and repent of it. Correction is better than entertainment. Uh, God-centeredness is better than self-centeredness. The heart of the wise person loves to hear the rebuke of the wise. Psalm 145, 141.5 says this, let a righteous man strike me, it is a kindness. Let him rebuke me, it is oil for my head. It's a good thing. Let, let my head not refuse it. Yet my prayer is continually against the evil deeds. You see that? If a righteous man comes against me and gives me wisdom and confronts me with where I'm going wrong, that's a good thing. That's a blessing. That's to be embraced. If you are precious enough to God for Him to convict you of sin, that's a good thing. Not to just let you go your own way. See, a, a, a wise person loves being corrected by God and by brothers and sisters in Christ who are bringing the truth to them. And listen, maybe they don't even do it the right way. Maybe they, they don't do it exactly right. 
but consider what's being said over how it's being said and make sure that you're not covering over something you should be correcting because the righteous love correction. The wise, a wise person loves correction. That's foolishness to the world, I know, but it's, a, it's how a fool for God or a fool to the world behaves. So an opposite on, on point two in verse seven, the righteous values truth over possessions and stuff and whatever's here, whatever the temptation is, whatever the bribe could be. You're going to face a lot of temptation in your life, especially if you're trying to walk with Christ. There are going to be a lot of things dangled in front of you to try to veer you off the path whether a woman or a man, people and things and the world is going to come against your marriage. You're going to look over here. The grass is greener over here. Solomon fell into all that. They're going to come against your children. They're going to come against your you name it. You best be evaluating and valuing God and His truth over all things so that you can stand against that temptation. If the devil will come at Jesus <laughs> with temptation, he's certainly going to come at you. The world, the flesh, and the devil is seeking to tear you down, keep you from following Christ, keep you from being fruitful in Christ. But the, the one who is a fool to the world, the one who is a fool for God, values truth above stuff. Really, God's glory over it all would never either give or receive a bribe. Why? Ninth commandment. You shall not bear false witness. That brings into the picture all truth, all lying, commitment to God. See, our lives are to be God first, God glorifying first, and then love of neighbor and love of brother and sister. And having that Godward focus and commitment will protect us from a lot of things that come at us. Secondly, thirdly, not secondly, verse 8. The person who's a fool for God or a fool to the world patiently waits for the fruit of doing the right thing. They don't do something and then immediately see if it worked and then go back to their own. That's another thing that happens in counseling. You'll, you'll be trying to steer some people away from some self-centeredness and they'll give it a shot for a week. Yep, didn't work. What do you mean it didn't work? Oh, it didn't make you comfortable. didn't support your kingdom. No, no, no. It's supposed to be miserable for a while when you're changing a, a habit, but you trust God and you persevere in it. Like New Testament, like Paul said, like the athlete or the farmer who pours in, who seeds and plants and waits and knows that if he's sowing into godliness, it will bear good fruit. He's not impatient, so he's not as quickly a victim. Verse 9, he's slow to anger. He or she is slow to anger. A one who is a fool for God, a fool to the world, is slow to anger like God. God is so slow to anger with us. He's so patient with us. He's so long-suffering with us. And we are so not with those around us a lot of times.
Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the hearts of fools. Very rarely is our anger righteous indignation. Most of the time, something's come against our comfort or our kingdom or the way we wanted it to be, and so we lash out. And that is not justified. Be like Christ. In His grace, by the power of His Spirit, applying His Word, so that like Christ, you are slow to anger. Patient with those who oppose Waiting, seeing, hoping, praying. Number five. The fool for God or the fool to the world is growingly satisfied because they remember their future. <laughs> remember your future. Remember your Christ's cross, new heavens, new earth. God finishing the work He began in you, taking you to a new heavens and the new earth where righteousness will dwell and there'll be no more sin and sorrow and politicians. Notice I'm biting my lip right now. The wise, the truly wise are growingly satisfied because their trust is in Christ. They believe Jesus is the Son of God. God-man who came because we had failed and we needed a Savior. And instead of condemning us, God sent His Son to live under His own law and fulfill all righteousness for His people. To die, taking our guilt upon Himself and dying to pay the penalty for our sin. To be raised from the grave for our justification, proving it's all true. Seen by multitudes before ascending to the throne in heaven and promising to come for us again and is reigning for His church now to see His gospel go to the ends of the earth. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried. He was raised the third day and salvation is through faith and trusting in Him and in Him alone. What must I do to be saved? Believe on the... Retent, turn from believing in yourself and pursuing your own way. Turn to God. Believe on, trust in, receive His Son and you will have eternal life. There is no other way. Such an offense to our current culture, right? Such a glory that God would provide a salvation. The one who is wise is growingly satisfied and he knows that whatever the good tr current trial is, as hard as it is and confusing as it is, we, we can step above it because of God has given His Word and know that He will work all things together for good, that He is in it to use it for good somehow. And a lot of that's confusing and we don't get it in this life. But He promises it. So we're satisfied in Him. We look to the cross and we're satisfied. And then the last thing I told you, I was going to mention it quickly, verses 11 and 12. We take advantage of His wisdom that He's given us. We walk in. We see God's wisdom as profitable and we walk in it. Wisdom is good with an inheritance and advantages to those who see the sun. Basically, you know, you've seen it before. When a fool gets an inheritance, it's soon gone, Right? But when a wise person is able to rightly use that inheritance for God's glory, 
and their own good and the good of those around them. The protection of wisdom is like the protection of money. You know, poor people deal with different things than rich people. Rich people are protected from some things, have other troubles, but there is a, f a certain amount of protection in, in having resources. Wisdom is in a way protective. The advantage, it says, and the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. Wisdom in general preserves the life, leads to a longer life than foolishness. In general, Proverbs are, are in general. But we see God's wisdom and we walk in it. Christ became a fool for you. And He calls you to become a fool for Him. And in Him. By what? Trusting Him and walking in His ways. Following Him. So the application is quick. Repent of being a fool to God by, number one, turning to and receiving Christ for salvation. Otherwise, you are a fool to God. You cannot save yourself. All your righteousness are filthy rags. You need a Savior. You're under condemnation. You need to turn to Christ and find the mercy of God available in Him. So repent of being a fool to God by turning to and receiving and resting in Christ alone for salvation. Secondly, repent of being a fool to God by abandoning all confidence in self or man. In yourself. Or in mankind. Some of us struggle with this in our personal lives. Some of us struggle with this in politics. Be careful about putting a lot of hope in Washington. Be careful about putting a lot of despair in Washington. The person who seems evil gets elected, you know what? There's a throne over his. Person who seems right gets elected and whoops, he doesn't do it. Thrown over his. We're not dependent upon who's in the White House. We work for good laws and we vote, try to vote for the best of our ability for good politicians, but we don't hope in them. Abandon all confidence in yourself and in man and just lastly, step off the throne. Step off the throne. That's our problem to begin with. We need to step off the throne. We're on the throne. We come and we're convicted of sin. We step off the throne and Christ takes the throne. And we're at His feet. Trust Christ and step off the throne. You can't rule well and you certainly can't rule as well as Him. So secondly, we repent of being a fool to God and then secondly, we embrace being a fool for Christ. Pursue the fear of the Lord in all things by firstly being filled with His Word. Don't be one who casts the Word behind you by just simply ignoring it or saying you don't have time for it or saying you don't like that part or whatever it is. Every syllable in this book you need. Some of them you're going to have to dig harder for and some will come easy. But every word from the mouth of God, Jesus said, is what we live by. Some of you are ignoring this book. Some of you are cherry-picking this book. Some of you are just leaving it to the preachers and the theologians to tell you what to believe. That's one of the most dangerous things you can do. Pursue the fear of the Lord by being filled with His, with his Word, with His wisdom, and being, then we're embracing confidence in Him. We're trusting in Him and not ourselves. 
You'll need a lot less counseling the more words in your head and heart. You'll be able to make a lot more decisions in a godly way the more the word that's in your heart and vice versa. I'm not, seeing, I'm not saying we won't help you and if you come and ask us a question, we're not going to say, go home and read your Bible. You should know that. We're not going to do that. But I'm telling you, it's given to you for a reason. And that reason is that you might fear the Lord, trust Him, be filled with His Word, embrace the confidence in Him, and have no confidence in yourself. Proverbs 3, 5, and 8. This is, they don't have a slide for this. But it, this is sort of one of the first verses that God had me memorize. But I'm going to read up through verse 8. It says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and do not lean, do not lean on your own understanding. Where some of you are leaning right now. Boy, our guys are fast back there. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all, all your ways, acknowledge Him, look to Him, and He will make straight your paths. Look at this repetition. Do not be wise in your own eyes. That's the fool to God. Thank you. Fear the Lord and turn from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. In other words, live a Christ-centered, Christ-filled, Christ-overflowing life. Trust His rule and obey Him out of love for Him, for sacrificing Himself for you, for becoming a fool for you. On the cross nude, paying the penalty for your sin, not just the physical suffering, but the wrath of God due your sin, poured out on Him, purchasing you. You're no longer yours, but His, the Word of God says. Trust His rule and obey Him out of love for Him. See, listen, folks, being a Christian is not just believing in Jesus. A lot of us will give mental assent, especially if it doesn't mess with our plans. What did Jesus say it was? Follow me. Follow me. Christian means little Christ. It means one who is devoted to Him, to whom He is life. Life shaped by Him through His Word, not my imagination. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Good grief, we don't even know what he says a lot of times. Much less whether or not we obey it. There's an obligation that comes with having him as Lord, and that's following him. To follow him, you have to know him and know what he requires of you. Join Paul. Who said, we are fools for Christ. Fools to the world. For us to live as Christ. We know it's foolishness to the world. There's no way to sort of sand the edges off of it and make the worldly people like it. There's no way to, to take it and shape it so that fools to God like it. The cross is an offense to those who are perishing. The gospel is an offense, but we must not water it down, either with our lips or with our lives. We're to be followers of Christ, and therefore fools for Christ, or fools for God. 
Don't be a fool for the world. You're investing in the wrong place. It is vanity. It is hevel. It is temporary. It won't be here and then it's gone. And then what will you do? Be a fool for Christ and live and die in confidence and joy in Him. See, you have no choice. You are and will be a fool. The only question is, whose fool are you? Whose fool will you be? Will you be a fool to, work to the world that follows Christ in God's will? Or will you be a fool to Christ that follows your own way? See, the song we had at the beginning, everybody is somebody's fool. That's true. Whose fool are you? Think seriously about this. Is Christ really life to you? I'm not asking you if He's your ticket to heaven. I'm asking you if He is life to you. If He shapes your life. If His Word is what you thirst for and imbibe of and are shaped by. If you are truly can stand before the Lord and say, to the best I could in your strength for your glory, Lord Jesus, I was following you. I know that's a work of His grace and He works in us what He commands. But it's there. See, we don't just believe in a Savior of all mankind. Believe in a Savior for you. He died for your sins and was raised for your justification. Is Christ's life to you? Are you truly a disciple of His? If so, you will be a fool to the world, but a fool for God. And have everything necessary for life and godliness. Follow Him. Step more deeply today into being a fool for Jesus. He was willing to become a fool for you. To live as Christ. Let's pray and believe that. Lord, set us free from the fear of death. The fear of anything other than you. Cause us to fear you. What does that mean? Cause us to delight in you, to love you, to trust you, to serve you, to seek to walk in you, to bring our griefs to you and our sorrows to you and our disappointments to you as well as our joys and our, our exaltations to, to rest in you, to, to see everything through the cross and know that you care and know that you're with us and know that you're for us. Help us truly to belong to you. Deliver us from being a fool to you and make us fools for you growingly, evidently, obviously, and help us to not be surprised when the world, the flesh, and the devil push back against that. Lord, don't let this godless worldly culture shape us, but may your gospel and your truth, may your grace, may your power, may you shape us through your word. Help us, Lord. We trust you for it. Bring those to faith who are not trusting you this morning. In Jesus' holy name, amen.